This is Yukon North of Ordinary, the podcast. We share a more in-depth take on the most popular stories from our print magazine, showcasing the territory's extraordinary people, culture, and outdoors. I'm your host, Karen McCall. Do you have a Yukon North of Ordinary hoodie yet? What about a t-shirt, a toque, mug? Check out the full product line at the retail store in Whitehorse, located on the corner of 2nd Avenue and Steel Street across from City Hall. Limited products can also be ordered from northofordinary.com. And while you're there, don't forget to pick up a magazine subscription. As anyone who's been to the Yukon knows, adventures abound. From hiking and mountain biking to whitewater paddling, ice climbing and kite surfing, you can do it all here. But what's it like capturing these activities from behind the lens? Today I'm speaking to a photographer who goes to extreme lengths to get the shot. Andrew Serac is an adventure photographer based in Carcross. Andrew has only been in the territory for a year, but he's really getting after it, as one of my friends would say. He has a photo essay in the winter issue of Yukon North of Ordinary, which you should really check out. It covers pretty much any sport you can think of, including the ones I mentioned just a few moments ago. Andrew drove an hour into Whitehorse to join me for this chat, and the first thing I asked him was how he squeezed so much into one year. Yeah, it's funny that you say that because um, when I think back on it, I feel like I haven't done that much. Uh, but now looking at, at the, the photo essay and the photos that I submitted and, and trying to think more about uh, each of those little adventures, I think I actually have done a lot. Um, and it's, I mean, I'm really... A, with my girlfriend, I'm out every single weekend. Um, with my friends, I'm out weekdays. Uh, we're really lucky in the Yukon to get these 20-hour days in the summer. Um, so in the summer days, I mean, you can do two adventures in a day. Um, so really, it, yeah, there's a lot of time uh, to do that, and it's it's really what I love doing. Uh, I love being outside. I love having those adventures, and I love taking photos of it. So it's it's not work. It's it's just I really do it for fun. Yeah, and I guess I should mention your photo essay. We've got photos of hiking, backcountry skiing, ice climbing, mountain biking, kite surfing, whitewater paddling, and climbing. You've kind of done it all. So uh, in a moment, I do want to talk a bit more about these specific activities and and um, you. But first of all, let's just talk about how how you got into photography. Sure. Uh, yeah. So, uh, long backstory on that. Uh, photography started just with the phone for me. Um, I was doing, uh, when I was just hiking, I hadn't really started climbing or anything at this point. Uh, I was writing a blog, um, for hiking and it was kind of to fill the gaps on information that was lacking online. So when I wanted to go do a hike, especially a longer hike or a more remote one, I just scour the internet for information and find as much as I can. And at that time, information wasn't quite so available. Um, and what I found on my hike that I didn't find on the internet, I was then posting there on my blog. So giving people directions to places and naturally the photos went along with that. And at first um, it would just be basic photos of the trails or something like that, just to try and help guide you along the way, or even something as um, kind of uninteresting as the parking lot to help you find that. Uh, but then it turned into uh, more taking photos artistically of the views that you see at the top of the hike or artistic ones along the way capturing really cool light or something like that first thing in the morning. Um, and it just kind of spurred from there um, with getting into climbing and started with sort of bouldering and, and easy shots like that on the phone. And um, 
what ended up happening, uh, I had a friend of a friend come out climbing with us one day uh, who had a, a nice DSLR camera. I'm sorry, are you living in BC at this time? Uh, this was in Ontario. Oh, in Ontario, okay. Yeah, um, in, in Ontario. This was around the Ottawa area, uh, climbing at a spot called Calabogie there. Um, I never used uh, a proper DSLR camera or anything at that point. Um, and we were climbing with it, and uh, um, I was watching him take photos, and I think he kind of noticed me. Uh, watching him very closely with the camera in a kind of wishful way. And so he asked me, like, do you want to take some photos? And took a look at it. I was like, yes, definitely want to take some photos of this. And uh, kind of without asking permission or doing anything else, I just I thought, you know, I'm going to scramble up the cliff and get the coolest angle that I possibly can with this camera. Um, not really thinking that I'm carrying this guy's nice $1,000 camera. <laughs> and, you know, there's potential risk involved here. Um, but I did. I scrambled up and... Um, uh, one of my friends was climbing, and it was probably her fourth or fifth time climbing, and, and she was really trying really hard, um, and I could see that in her, and I, I zoomed in um, and just really captured her in a, a close perspective, and it ended up being some photos of her. Um, you could really see all the emotion in her face. She was really, like, trying really hard, um, and I showed it to her, and, and she got really stoked on it. She's like, wow, that's what I look like. This is really cool, um, and I saw what it did for her, and what that could do for other people. And, and that's where I just I really got excited about photography and adventure photography specifically. And how long ago was that? Uh, I think when I took that photo, that might have been uh, maybe five or six years ago uh, with that. And then it's only been, uh, it took me a while. I was kind of on the fence about whether I dropped that $500,000 on the DSLR for a long time. Uh, and it's probably been about three years since I've actually had a, a proper camera and, and really pursuing that regularly. Right. I was going to say, oh, my God, don't tell me you shot all those photos for this issue on your iPhone. I mean, that'd be amazing <laughs> if you did. <laughs> no, not a single one. It's, it's been a long time since I, I left the phone. But, uh, yeah. Um, so, and before that, like, you were you were into adventure sports for some time before that, like climbing and that sort of thing, the outdoors, hiking. Yeah, yeah. I, I was really lucky when I, I grew up. My dad was into that sort of stuff. Um, he was doing everything that I do now when, when he was my age and younger. Um, so I grew up uh, doing a lot of paddling and, and hiking and, and biking and skiing and that sort of stuff. Um, so, yeah, definitely I've been into that for a long time. Okay. Uh, and in your photo essay, you wrote about, in your photo forward, you wrote that before every shoot, you make a series of calculations to which the specific answer is an angle. You say, in positioning myself to capture that angle, creativity and physicality align and photography becomes a sport of its own. Can you tell me a bit about what you mean about that? Yeah, that's, I think, what drives me to go back every time, uh, that challenge. Um, I think particularly uh, a lot of my, my adventure photography was climbing specific. Um, and to capture those angles, uh, you can't be on the ground and you can't be at the top of the cliff. So you need to be somewhere in between. Uh, and that's a fun challenge. It's not just a physical challenge, but a technical challenge of trying to build an anchor in a spot where no one's built an anchor before and hoist a rope and often just suspend totally in midair, feet not even on the cliff. Um, a logistical challenge to get to that spot. It's a real like fun problem solving, but also involves the physical element of climbing or running around to the top of the cliff and then coming back down to the bottom of the cliff, securing the rope and then jugging or climbing out the rope. It's, it's a lot of work. And then uh, a lot of the time I'm there and I have to be there before the climber starts. So I might then be suspended in midair for a couple of hours waiting for them to get there. And it's not comfortable and it's physically difficult. It takes a lot of core strength just to hang out in midair like that. Uh, so it really, it's, it's its own 
sport where I get to join them in climbing, join them in the hike to the approach or, or skiing or whatever it happens to be. But then I also get to do this extra sport that no one else is doing while I'm there. Do you ever, though, sometimes wish, like, oh, I wish I was just climbing instead of, like, <laughs> being here looking through the camera? Sometimes, yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of the days now, especially with climbing photography, I don't get to climb on the days when I do that. So I am doing my own little sport that no one else really knows or understands. Uh, but there are definitely days where I have to put the camera down and just go climb. Otherwise, I don't get the chance. So, <laughs> okay. Yeah. So how, how have you learned all this stuff? Have you been uh, have you had some mentors or have you kind of just learned as you went? Uh, I've definitely had some uh, friends who are really strong photographers who helped out a lot with that. Um, what's kind of really cool with the photography and the adventure photography is the different elements that you can bring into it. Um, so specifically, I've had friends who are really, really good landscape photographers, which is something that never really interested me. But in talking with them and getting feedback from them about how to take good landscape shots, I've been able to incorporate that into my adventure photography, which is, is really cool. Um, for the actual setup of the adventure photography myself that's that's mostly been just trial and error mm -hmm. which is is almost more fun than someone telling you what to do because uh, that's really where it did become a sport is, is in figuring that out and making the mistakes and spending eight hours thinking I'm going to get a photo and missing it and then you really learn from that and come back next time wow yeah I guess you'd want to learn from that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so where where has your photography taken you I know you'd have done some travels and things like that yeah, um, back when I was working full-time jobs, it, the vacations were always to go climb or hike or, or something else, uh, and the camera came along with that. Um, this past year in the Yukon, I've been all over the territory and, and just stretching into BC a little bit as well uh, to take photos and, and to have those adventures. Um, the year uh, leading up to COVID, I was in Australia for the year, and, and that was just full-time uh, adventure and photography, which is um, really what motivated me to, to continue doing this as much as possible and try and make it a full-time thing. Yeah, how competitive is it to be, well, the field of adventure photography? <laughs> yeah, competitive? Uh, it, it's not easy to, to do as a living. Um, most people who are doing that well are also taking other photos on the side. If it's just full-time photography, there's, there's got to be commercial work, which pays better. Uh, it's definitely hard, uh, especially in the Yukon. you got to be around professional athletes, typically, to make that sort of money because uh, they're the ones um, that would get the, the magazine advertisements that would actually pay well. Uh, and now, in particular, it's, it's a much more popular field. It's a lot more accessible to have a camera and to have a camera in those areas where you might get that shot. So it's, it's definitely competitive. Um, social media doesn't help with the ability to try and be a full-time photographer because anyone can post it, um, which is, is good. It's good in its own way too, because it's making it more accessible and it's getting people excited to go outside. Uh, but from the financial perspective, definitely difficult. So you just moved here, was it November? Yeah, 2020, I guess a year ago. So what drove the move to the Yukon? Uh, my girlfriend got a job in uh, Yukon, which is amazing. Um, she got a, a great job in the community. Uh, we didn't really know anything about the Yukon, and we just kind of took a chance on it. We both wanted to come up north at some point, um, but had never really looked into to what's around. Um, and we got kind of lucky that um, the job happened to be in Carcross, where we're just surrounded by mountains. Uh, the mountain biking trails are five minutes from my house, which is epic. Uh, there's climbing around there. There's paddling around there. A lot of the photos that I've taken are, are f within an hour drive of my house, which is, is really, really lucky. And we're, we're really happy to have that. Yeah, that is pretty amazing. Yeah, um, yeah I guess 
like sort of all the adventure stuff is here. What about like the networking in terms of like meeting these athletes and other people to take the shots of? Yeah, that's the one great thing about social media. I mean, there, there are definitely good things about social media, but it makes it so much easier to meet people as before that. And you have like Facebook groups where all of the climbers come together and chat and all the paddlers and all the skiers come together and, and you can just reach out and say, hey, who wants to be in a photograph? Um, so it's, it's really awesome that way. Uh, Yukon is, is a bit more challenging in that there's a lot less people. So there's uh, much fewer people to, to go out on those adventures with uh, but it, it's awesome that we have that and it hasn't been too much of a challenge to to find people that want to go out yeah and does anybody ever say like no please don't take my photo like <laughs> uh yeah so there's there's two ways that I, I typically take photos is usually i request someone to come out first which could be someone i don't know or it could be someone that i do know and i'll be um honest about what we're going to take photos of and and how the setup's going to work and all that sort of stuff and i try and keep it as organic as possible or if i don't have anyone to take photos of and there's people climbing at a crag or skiing at somewhere i'll be hey can i take your photo and so far, I haven't had anyone say no. There's some people who are like, you're going to take my photo? This is amazing. And, and they're excited about it. And those are the ones that I love the most. And some people are like, oh, okay, I guess you can. Uh, and those are the ones that maybe don't get posted. But hopefully I can share with them and still still have them get excited about it. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's talk a little bit about some of those uh, Yukon uh, photo adventures you've had. Um, yeah, you said you took a lot of the photos within an hour of your house. So, um can you just tell me about, I guess, a couple of the, the photo missions you've been on and where you went, what you sure. did? Sure, yeah. Um, like, starting with the easiest one, um, this is really cool because adventure photography, normally I do have to do a lot of work to do it. Um, the kiteboarding. Uh, there's a, a pretty big kiteboarding scene, actually, just on Bennett Beach, uh, which is right behind my house in Carcross. So I just got to stroll out on the beach with my telephoto camera and introduce myself to these guys and take amazing photos. So adventures don't have to be that far off the beaten path. Um, but there are some that are, uh, yeah, for the kite, I guess, but yeah, because you've got a big lens, like you can just be on the beach taking the photos and yeah, I did, I did put on some rubber boots and stroll out into the water a little bit. It was a little more difficult than relaxing on the beach, but yeah, yeah. Big 400 millimeter lens took most of those photos and, and yeah, it wasn't too bad. Um, and then from there, uh, mountain biking is, like I said, five minutes from my place. You have to do a bit more work to get uphill and get on the track and everything. But mm-hmm. it is, uh, it's not a strenuous adventure to do that necessarily. Um, and that's uh, Montana Mountain. So I guess there's sort of, I guess what we call downhill riding. Um, yeah. 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 And you got some great shots of that for the magazine. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. That was really cool. The, the tracks that are right there, um, the, the downhill tracks, they're, they're fun and, and they're easy to do. And then that one, uh, Mountain Hero, uh, mm. that's an absolutely epic ride, which I think already has international recognition. But uh, that's something that, that everyone should do if, if they get the chance to. Yeah. You've got a beautiful fall color shot in there. And I think actually I was biking that trail maybe the weekend that you took the photo or the weekend after or something like that. And it is. That's kind of like the perfect time to ride that is early September when those colors are going. Definitely. It's, it's epic. I mean, it's, we, we, uh, we mapped the whole route and I think there were seven kilometers of downhill out of 46 kilometers of door to door travel in that. So it's, it's definitely an adventure mountain biking, mm-hmm. but the colors on that and the views, whether you have the colors or not, are just absolutely incredible. It really shows off the Yukon. Yeah. And for, for people who aren't familiar with the mountain hero trail, you, uh, you bike up through Mount Montana mountain and you're kind of a lot of it actually you're biking on uh, mining roads. So it's, uh, but it's beautiful alpine and it's kind of like the mining roads are kind of bouldery. There's maybe a few push sections depending on how technical a variety you are. And then there's a <laughs> single track descent, which is quite spectacular as well. Yeah. 
I use my brakes a lot on it. <laughs> again, maybe better bikers don't need to. <laughs> it was described to me, too, as a brake burner. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> it's definitely that style. Okay, and then, um, yeah, kayaking. You have a really cool uh, aerial shot of, I think it's the Tushai River. Hey, kayakers on that. Yeah. That's like a class four class river. Class four. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was really cool. Uh, there's a group of, there's maybe a dozen kayakers who in, invited me out to that trip. So that's going down uh, towards the White Pass, about an hour south of where I live in Carcross. Um, and that river is really cool. Um, I haven't paddled in a couple of years, but I, I did used to paddle whitewater uh, back in Ottawa. And that, that got me excited. Um, I wanted to buy a dry suit and a boat and a paddle and, and get in with them. Um, that's a really cool spot. And the scenery around the mountains there is absolutely beautiful. Uh, mm-hmm. We're pretty lucky to have that. Uh, I think a lot of the whitewater uh, in Yukon is more like class two, class three, and, and that river is, is really something else. With kayaking, I guess normally for taking the photos, like normally you'd be on shore, right? I guess it's not that practical to be in a boat with a camera and you'd have to be waterproof and all that jazz. Yeah, there's a bit too much movement to try and catch a <laughs> catch a photo <laughs> in white water. Yeah, so normally on the shore. Um, a lot of the times uh, if you were paddling and have the, the uh, camera in the boat and you could just maybe hop out. And sometimes you can hop out on like a rock in the middle of the river, which gives you a really cool perspective because um, it looks like you're you're in the water almost. Uh, in this case, I was, I was off on the shore. I'd, I'd hiked in to where they were going to be. Uh, but there's often enough rocks that you can hop around and get a, get a cool perspective. And did you use a drone for one the of the shots? The aerial shot, yeah. I definitely use a drone. That's the only drone shot I that I did for uh, the submission. It's it's not my favorite way to take photos, but sometimes it does get a really, really neat perspective, like in that case, uh, mm-hmm. so I had to do it. Uh, there are some other photos that I took too with the uh, uh, mirrorless camera. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you said you're you're a big climber. You have some uh, climbing, bouldering shots, ice climbing. Are you an ice climber as well? Yeah, yeah, ice climbing. Uh, I've been rock climbing for a long time, and then ice climbing was kind of a natural transition. There's especially here a much longer ice climbing season than a rock climbing season. Uh, but those are probably my two uh, favorite sports of, okay. of the bunch. I have a few friends who are super into rock climbing, and I, from what I've heard from them, the Yukon is a bit of a compromise in terms – it's not the best place <laughs> in the world for climbing, but there's sort of like – it's it's there's a lot of other things to do so and I same for ice climbing it's a long season but there's not is there that much ice around here no there's not and and a lot of the ice climbing that's around here is is on the easier end of the difficulty scale too um, same thing with the rock climbing and and that might not necessarily be because there's not difficult rock to climb but because of the rock climbers that are here um, the really skilled climbers are exactly like you said it's a compromise here so they're they're in BC or um, somewhere where it's uh, more uh, well established and, and better quality rock um, it is good it's um, it's accessible there's a lot of really easy to reach crags in the Yukon uh, which is good for building community because not everyone wants to hike an hour to climb um, so we do have that which is awesome um, and then the uh, the more interesting climbing for me is the adventurous stuff. Uh, so you're getting out there, you're doing multi-pitch climbing, uh, full day to climb a single route sort of thing. Uh, and that, the the rock quality on those is often compromised. So you, you have to be of an adventurous spirit to hop on those. Right. And if you, if so, if you are doing a, like a rock climbing shoot here, even if it's just a single pitch, like how, how heavy is your bag in terms of some of the climbing gear you're carrying? <laughs> yeah, often really heavy. Uh, my favorite style of climbing is the, the traditional climbing, uh, in which you don't have any fixed protection already on the rock. So you're bringing that all with you and, uh, what's called your climbing rack, which is that protection, uh, on its own weighs about 20 pounds. Um, so whether I'm climbing, 
uh, or shooting, I need to bring a lot of that gear with me because I need to build my own anchors with that sort of stuff and often redirect on the way down a route if I'm repelling with that stuff. So I typically have that, uh, plus a camera and a couple lenses, which may weigh five to 10 pounds, uh, plus one or two ropes, which may weigh a lot. Uh, so yeah, my, my standard uh, climbing photography backpack is about 50 pounds. Oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> you got to stay fit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I guess you have to make some decisions about, okay, like what is going to be the best lens or the best camera for this shoot? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, there's there's sort of two uh, lenses that I go to for it, uh, but it totally depends on where you're going to be because um, you could be, you know, 50 feet from the climber. You could be five feet from the climber. You might have to be a couple hundred feet from the climber. So it all depends. It has to really base it on the conditions. And um, sometimes you bring the long, wrong lens and then next time you bring all of your lenses and that just gets heavier and you mm-hmm. might regret that eventually. <laughs> so shooting in the Yukon, um, you you talked about access a, li- a bit, but what are some of, I guess, the benefits of shooting here that you've noticed? Uh, benefits, because everything's already kind of remote in the Yukon, you don't always have to go that far to seemingly be in the middle of nowhere, which is really cool. Um, there's some of these spots are just really close to the road, um, which is awesome. But if you take a shot facing away from the road, it seems like you're hundreds of kilometers from everything, um, which is really cool. Uh, and I really like that about the Yukon. Um, the adventure is amazing. Yeah. And you're not going to have like 50 people in the background of the shot, like waiting to get on the crag or something. That's exactly <laughs> it. Yeah. In a lot of other places where I was shooting, especially from, for climbing, um, uh, when I take the shot face down and you see down uh, a bit of the ground as the perspective, if you're at the crag and it's a weekend, there's backpacks, there's someone's dog, there's someone walking through the frame and it just made it impossible to actually shoot on the weekends in a lot of places because you can't control the scene where, where you're telling people you can't walk there. Uh, it's not fair, but here that's not so much of an issue. <laughs> right. Uh, what about some of the challenges? Challenges um, in the winter for sure. The, the biggest challenge that I had all winter is the lack of light, uh, which makes it really challenging to get really unique photos where you, you want some good light contrast. Um, having those, you know, bordering four-hour light days, especially in the mountains, uh, where I am in Carcross and in the White Pass and the Haines Pass, uh, the light, the sun doesn't really peak above the mountains ever. You get ambient light, but you don't get direct light, uh, and you get really flat lighting, uh, which doesn't make for the most exciting photos, especially in snow. Everything just kind of looks kind of white. Um, so that's definitely a challenge. Um, the other one that goes along with that is how cold it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had, um, uh, a few times where I was risking <laughs> frostbite on my fingers, uh, gloves that are appropriate for minus 30, minus 40 are not appropriate for pressing the shutter on a camera. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, that was a little bit difficult. Are you using heat packs? <laughs> I do use the heat packs. Yeah, I actually bought um, uh, my Yukon gloves, which are electric heated gloves. Um, so they're awesome. They're too big to press the shutter with, uh, but I, I leave the heaters on and then I have a, a pair of um, uh, smaller gloves underneath them. So when I can put the big gloves back on when I'm done shooting, then the heat's there right away. Oh, that sounds good. <laughs> yeah, those recovery. electronic uh, gloves and socks, uh, I've heard a lot of people getting them lately. They're not cheap, but no. I think they're effective. They're, they're worth it, especially in my case. If you're going to spend an hour without gloves on in those conditions, you're going to need it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I guess batteries too. Camera batteries struggle in the cold, do they? Camera batteries do. I, I've... Um, 
I've got a newer mirrorless camera and uh, the battery seem to be pretty good for it. I have, um, I do a lot of Aurora shooting as mm -hmm. well at night, so I'll be out for hours when it's, it's cold and dark. I haven't had any significant challenges with my batteries, which I'm lucky, but uh, I know other cameras definitely have that problem. Shooting Aurora, that's kind of an adventure of its own because it's, it's pretty late at night often, isn't it? When yeah. it kind of is best. Yeah, I'm on my Aurora schedule now, which is generally to stay up till two or three in the morning and, and sleep in. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so this is, uh, we met at 1030. That was a bit of an early morning for you with the drive-in. You know what? I actually, uh, some people posted on Facebook there was good Aurora last night, so I missed that. I, I had to go to bed early to get up here. So. <laughs> I'm sorry. We could have met later had I known that. <laughs> That's okay. You never know when it's going to be good or bad. It's, it's always a toss-up with the Aurora. <laughs> Yeah, I guess I was going to ask you about like, I don't know, a particularly memorable or a particularly challenging shoot that you've had here in the Yukon that you wanted to chat about. Yeah, um, memorable ones for sure. They're, they've all been memorable in their own ways. Uh, the ones that are the most memorable for me are the, the most adventurous ones. And, and for me to define adventure, I think things need to go wrong. Um, I had this one really cool one. I brought the camera with me and didn't end up getting any any shots, which is a true adventure because things didn't go right and you didn't get what you wanted, <laughs> yeah. but it's memorable and it's fun anyway. Um, Yukon's like, there's a lot of really remote travel, especially if you're going to get further away, you need a boat, a helicopter, something like that. We were going to go do a climb. It's a 3000 foot climb, uh, 50 kilometers down a lake, uh, heading towards the Kluani kind of region. Um, this one was really fun. It started out, uh, we borrowed a Zodiac boat, a 10 foot Zodiac boat with a motor to get about 50 kilometers down a lake. I didn't know anything about boats, but my friend brought this boat and he told me it had some, some slow leaks in it, but that we'd get there. And I was you know what, this is, you're in charge of the boat. We'll figure this out. It'll be great. We, we got there at about 9 p.m. after everything figured out. We inflated the boat, got in the boat. 9 p.m. So you've got a lot of light left because it's... It, this was summer. summer. Okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, so it was probably going to get dark about 11, 1130. Um, we didn't know how fast the boat was going to go. We didn't know if that was enough time, but you know, we're just going for it, having a good time. I get the boat in the water and he, he cranks the engine and uh, we're barely moving. And I'm like, what's going on? Is this as fast as it goes? He's like, I, I got a full throttle. Like, I don't know what's going on. Uh, I pulled out my, uh, my GPS and, and started to track the distance we're moving at. It was five kilometers an hour. Oh my gosh. And then I looked on maps and I figured out it was about 50 kilometers to our destination. So if you do that math, it's about 10 hours, uh, which we had a lot of light, but not that much light. Uh, <laughs> um, so we figured out we could get the, the engine mo moving a little bit better, but it ended up being about nine kilometers an hour. And the waves were picking up. And if you've never been in a small Zodiac boat, uh, the walls are about eight inches off the water, um, which started to get dark, started to get windy. We were getting splashed and getting totally soaked and freezing in that Yukon water. Um, by the time it was dark, we weren't even halfway. Oh, no. <laughs> we're just going by moonlight at this point. And luckily, the lake is long but straight, so it's, we're not going to get lost necessarily. Uh, but we didn't get there until about 3.30 in the morning. <laughs> totally soaked. Uh, my friend was borderline hypothermic by the time we got him oh, in the no. tent. Um, so those are the types of adventures that, that you can really have in the Yukon. Uh, <laughs> and I, were you also worried that, like, maybe the boat wouldn't get you back? That's <laughs> we what we I definitely were. About. Yeah, I mean, with those slow leaks in there, we had we had a hand pump uh, or a foot pump, and, and we were constantly having to, to fill it up. <laughs> so there's always the risk that, that you never know. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's definitely the stuff that I look for. Here. So because you got there so late, did you not end up climbing, or did the weather not cooperate? Uh, the, weather, the weather was it was strange. Uh, so we were going to climb 3,000 feet. It was a two-day climb. Um, we had to haul all of our gear with us and all of our water. And 
normally the conditions there would be it would be too cold or be too windy and that was one of the freak weekends where it ended up being over 30 degrees in the oh, Yukon man. and we we started to climb and we realized we just couldn't possibly haul enough water with us to, to do that route um, wow. so we ended up bailing on it and going back down to the trees where there were some smaller rocks uh, down below and we ended up establishing some some roots in the trees which seemed a little bit better suited to that hot weekend and there'll be a second chance maybe we'll get a better boat next time (laughs) better boat oh my gosh yeah one of the like rare rare times when it's too hot to do an activity in the Yukon. yeah (laughs) Yeah. although unfortunately there might be more weekends like that because of the way things are changing unfortunately yeah. yeah yeah uh was there anything else you wanted to talk about or tell me about uh, I think the other one that I like to mention on, on memorable things for Yukon um, is the hikes. I did I did a lot of hiking and a lot of day hikes, but um, uh, and those are amazing. You can go really far really quickly in the Yukon and get to amazing views. Like you can get over tree lines so quickly uh, for anyone who's who's inspiring to do adventure sports. Uh, I did two four day hikes, one in uh, Tombstone and one in Kluani. Uh, which are absolutely incredible. And the reason why I wanted to mention those um, is because I think hiking and backpacking is kind of like the gateway to all these awesome adventure sports and how people can get into it. Um, and it's much more accessible. You don't need as much gear. Uh, and that's something that's that's really cool about the Yukon. We have that everywhere. There's lots of decent established trails to do. That's a really good point because, yeah, not all adventure in the Yukon has to be hardcore. There is, yeah, day hikes and some more entry-level stuff. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. although hiking in Tombstone hiking can still be quite rugged were you on the oh, trails definitely. or were you guys like uh off trail yeah we were on the trail on that one uh that was actually a really cool one um my girlfriend's mom got to visit from ontario uh, and she she is she's really fit and she'd done uh plenty of hiking and biking and stuff before but never done a multi-day hike uh so we did the uh the classic uh the grizzly tombstone divide hike we did three nights four days through there and it's it's a relatively well-marked trail and you have tent pads to sleep on so uh, mm-hmm. there's not too much to do logistically mm-hmm. um, it's still it's not a, like it's not an easy hike though there's no. like lots of like climbing and yeah, yeah. steep steep yeah. elevation uh, but steep elevation means epic views the whole time too it's, mm-hmm. it's beautiful and and the weather too in tombstone is uh the closest forecast i think is is for dawson city uh which said sunny and 18 degrees every day we were there and it, it was like five <laughs> degrees and raining sideways oh, no. half the time but <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> it's a bit unpredictable there but yeah, yeah. and that grizzly lake yeah, yes, there is other people there. There's, you know, you have to book it in advance, but it is a spectacular area. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's one of the most beautiful places in, in Yukon, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, what about your hike in Kluwani? Kluwani, uh, that one was different and, and really cool. Um, there's something called the, the Donjak route there, uh, which is, I think they say it's about an eight to, to 10 day hike. And we didn't have all that time to commit to it, but uh, roughly halfway through, there's a, a lake that's a designated landing zone for float planes. Um, so we hired a, a float plane to take us in, uh, which if I were to do it again, I would do it that way too. Cause the flight in where you see all the glaciers from above and all the ways that you can travel is, is really, really cool. Um, so we got to skip uh, part of it. Uh, we still got to check out the uh, the toe of the Donjak Glacier and, and do some river crossings and creek crossings. And that route is is like a big step up from the, the Grizzly Divide where the mm-hmm. trails mark to there's no trail whatsoever. Uh, you just have a map and a compass and a GPS and, and you just kind of find your way out through uh, some pretty intense creek and river crossings. Mm-hmm. Um, we, yeah. we saw the biggest grizzly I've ever seen okay. on that. It was it was really, really amazing, really memorable. Yeah, I was actually going to ask uh, if you'd come across any wildlife in your travels. Yeah, we saw there, there was um, a coyote uh, that we came across that was uh, acting a little frantic that we stayed quite far away from. That was a little, that was more intimidating than, than the thousand pound grizzly <laughs> uh, and yeah we did see the biggest grizzly i've ever seen uh some caribou it's, it's really cool um, in kiwani or where were the caribou 
was that? Where were the caribou? In, in Kluani. Oh, yeah. really? Okay. Yeah, yeah oh, I saw wow. one in there. Yeah, it was, yeah, oh, it was really cool. Um, we saw uh, less wildlife and a lot of wildlife tracks, which is really cool. A lot of the corridors that you follow um, are the wildlife corridors because we're following creek beds and, and river beds and that sort of stuff. Uh, one night, we, we definitely uh, extended our ability for the day, and it got pretty late and pretty tired. And were out of camping options and ended up pitching our tent over wolf tracks, which was a little intimidating, but kind of interesting too. Uh, so it's, it's definitely wild and, and remote out there. Yeah. That, those are the nights where you don't necessarily sleep as well when there's like the fresh <laughs> tracks. <You're> like, <laughs> yeah. What's going to wake me up in the night? Okay. And so if people want to see more of your work and find out more about you, where should they go? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty active on social media. I post all my new stuff there, Facebook and, and Instagram. You can find me there, Andrew Surak. I also have a website where I keep stuff up to date, sell prints and that sort of stuff and, and offer uh, commercial work for anyone who's interested. And will the shots that you took for the magazine be online eventually as well? Uh, some of them will be, yeah, for sure. Wonderful. And your web address is? AndrewSurak.com. Wonderful. Thanks so much. Thanks, Karen. That's it for this episode of Yukon North of Ordinary, the podcast. Subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. You can also subscribe to our print magazine by going to northofordinary.com. While you're there, check out Yukon North of Ordinary merchandise. For a full product line, visit the Bricks and Mortar store in Whitehorse, located on the corner of 2nd Avenue and Steel Street across from City Hall. There's a great selection of hats, stickers, clothing. I love my hoodie. Do you have something you'd like to say about this episode? We'd love to hear from you. Find us on Facebook, North of Ordinary Media, Twitter, at Yukon Magazine. You can also email me, editor at northofordinary.com. And just a reminder, I'm Karen McCall. Thanks to the whole team at North of Ordinary Media. Special thanks to art director Manu Kegenhoff. Our music is by Headcandy and tribeofnoise.com. Thanks for listening. We'll have another episode coming out next week. I hope you listen in.